Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. President Biden is facing criticism for his trip to Saudi Arabia. Senator Bernie Sanders says he never should have gone due to human rights concerns. General Mark Milley is facing scrutiny over allegations that he may have tried to usurp the statutory chain of command from then-President Trump. Now lawmakers are asking him to respond. New body cam footage and a report on the Uvalde shooting. Did the responders make costly poor decisions or is leadership to blame for the loss of life? President Biden's facing criticism over his trip to Saudi Arabia last week, including from Senator Bernie Sanders and Legacy Media. Entity's Jessica Beatty has more. Senator Bernie Sanders told ABC's This Week Sunday he doesn't think President Biden should have visited Saudi Arabia. It's over concerns that one of its leaders was involved in the 2018 death of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi. You have a, a leader of that country. Uh, who was involved in the murder of a Washington Post journalist. Uh, I don't think that that type of government should be rewarded uh, with a visit by the President of the United States. Federal agencies have suspected that Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman was involved in Khashoggi's death, but he denies it. On the campaign trail, Biden said Saudi Arabia should be made a pariah because of the journalist's murder. This was Biden's first meeting with bin Salman since then. Biden caught flack last week for greeting the crown prince with a fist bump shortly after he arrived. Washington Post publisher Fred Ryan called the casual greeting shameful. Biden Friday said he told the crown prince that he held him responsible for Khashoggi's death. But the Saudi foreign minister told CNN Saturday he didn't hear Biden say that. So was it your impression, minister, that President Biden accepted your explanation for the murder of Jamal Khashoggi? I believe so, but I believe, yeah, I believe so. The U.S. intelligence community, as you know, concluded that the crown prince ordered, I effectively ordered the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. I don't believe that that was uh, specified in those terms. Biden hit back when he returned to the White House over the weekend. A reporter brought up that the foreign minister said he didn't hear Biden accuse the crown prince of Khashoggi's murder. Is he telling the truth? No. Do you regret the fist pump, Mr. President? Will inflation go down from here, Mr. President? The White House signaled that Biden was in Saudi Arabia to push the Saudi government into producing more oil to offset high gas prices. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Oil prices rise as the U.S. dollar weakens and after President Joe Biden wraps up his Saudi Arabia trip, he failed to secure a pledge from the Saudis to boost crude oil output. Brent crude futures rose 2.4 percent for September and U.S. West Texas intermediate crude futures gained nearly 2.1 percent for August. Biden called on Saudi Arabia and other Gulf oil producers to ramp up oil production in a bid to cool high gasoline prices and inflation. The Consumer Price Index shows inflation in the U.S. accelerated in June to a new 40-year high of 9.1 percent, but a number of commodities rallied on Monday. That's after they trended downward in recent weeks. This suggests inflationary pressures may be easing. Gasoline prices have dropped over the past several weeks, with Gas Buddy's analysis saying that the most common gas price in the U.S. is now $3.99 per gallon. The median gas price stood at $4.39 a gallon nationwide, while the top 10 percent most expensive locations averaged $5.71 a gallon. 
More information on the Uvalde school shooting is coming out. A new report and body cam footage were released, and the acting police chief is suffering the consequences. Here are the details. The new footage partly shows officers who responded to the scene helped children escape through a window. The Texas State House of Representatives released an almost 80-page long report. It says big mistakes were made when the nearly 400 officers responded to the shooting. There is no one to whom we can attribute malice or ill motives. Instead, we found systemic failures and egregious poor decision-making. The report says the overall approach to the shooting was careless. And the bottom line the report found is that law enforcement responders failed to adhere to their active shooter training and they failed to prioritize saving the lives of innocent victims over their own safety. Lieutenant Mariano Pargas was the acting police chief on the day of the shooting. He's been placed on administrative leave, according to the town's mayor. It's not clear whether the leave is paid or not. Lieutenant Pargas told the committee that he figured the school district's police chief had jurisdiction over the incident and the Uvalde police were there to assist. The report says the school district's police chief failed to perform or to transfer to another person the role of incident commander. It says the void of leadership could have resulted in the loss of life because injured victims had to wait for over an hour to get treatment. The room is full of victims. The school district's police chief was put on leave last month for not immediately confronting the gunman. We gotta get in there. He keeps shooting. We gotta get in there. The report says that the gunman, 18-year-old Salvador Ramos, might have been sexually abused as a child. His friends and girlfriend told investigators that Ramos became increasingly depressed during the CCP virus pandemic. In total, 21 people died on the day of the shooting. Officials say an active shooter at an Indiana shopping mall was killed by a man armed with a gunman. Four people, including the shooter, were killed. The suspected gunman opened fire with a rifle in the food court of the Greenwood Park Mall located in the suburbs of Indianapolis. The Greenwood police chief said law enforcement responded to reports of an active shooter around 6 p.m. local time. A 22-year-old individual that police have labeled a good Samaritan was able to stop the gunman with his own lawfully obtained firearm. Five victims were shot during the incident. Three have died. Police say that the one male and four females were shot, including a 12-year-old girl whose parents brought her to the hospital with minor injuries. The police chief said the second injured victim was hospitalized and is in stable condition. Two top Republicans are asking the country's top general, Mark Milley, to respond to an allegation. A book published last year says Milley cut off the chain of command while serving under the Trump administration in early 2021. Here are the details. According to the book Peril by Bob Woodward and Robert Costa published last year, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff General Mark Milley told top-level military officers not to follow then-President Trump's orders unless Milley approved them beforehand. Several Republicans, including Senator Chuck Grassley, are paying close attention. In doing so, he may have stepped out of his lane as the president's principal military advisor and into the statutory chain of command where law doesn't allow him to go. Because by law, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff has no command authority. Grassley says the lawmakers have asked Milley to respond to the allegations for months, but the general has yet to do so. The senator says Milley's alleged actions strike at the heart of our democracy, civilian control of the military. They turn this guiding rule upside down and show utter contempt for the commander-in-chief. Coming from the nation's top general, 
They are dangerous and contrary to military code 10 U.S. Code 888. Republican Congressman Jim Banks also addressed the issue during a speech on the House floor last week. So I'm calling on General Milley to set the record straight. General Milley is accused of secretly seizing the president's military powers. That is the most serious crime. If he is innocent, he has a duty to say so. The book Peril also claimed that Milley made phone calls to a top Chinese communist general twice in early 2021 to tell him that the U.S. had no plans to attack China. During a congressional hearing last September, Milley admitted to the phone calls. He said his task at that time was to de-escalate. White House COVID-19 advisor Dr. Anthony Fauci says he's planning on leaving his position by the end of President Biden's term. Fauci, 81, made the revelation in an interview published in Politico today. During the pandemic, he became a household name as the face of the federal government's COVID-19 response. He often generated criticism from Republicans for his dire predictions about the pandemic. In the interview, Fauci continued to defend his public recommendations, including school closures, mask wearing, vaccination regimes, and lockdowns. The former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has been working hard endorsing candidates for the Republican Party. The midterm elections are around the corner, but he also has his eye on 2024. In an interview with the Times UK, Pompeo indicated a potential bid for president and said Trump's candidacy won't affect his decision. Pompeo says he is fit to be in that position, but will make his decision after November's elections. He also says he will give his full support to Trump if he wins the nomination. Pompeo has launched a political action committee aimed at supporting conservatives called CAVPAC or Champion American Values PAC. He's been traveling across the country raising money for Republican candidates in the midterm elections. And coming up, Ukraine's president fires the head of the country's domestic security agency and the top state prosecutor. That's after finding hundreds of cases of treason and collaboration with Russia. And European residents get signs the continent's heat wave is letting up, but it's shifting closer to Britain. Residents in the hottest areas are finding ways to keep cool. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, has fired the head of the country's domestic security agency, the SBU, and the top state prosecutor. That's after dozens of officials in their agencies were found to be collaborating with Russia in its invasion of Ukraine. Zelensky said SBU chief Ivan Bakanov, a childhood friend, and prosecutor general Irina Venediktova, who's been leading war crime cases against Russia, had to take responsibility for the 650-plus cases of treason and collaboration opened against their staff. Such an array of crimes against the foundations of the state's national security and the connections detected between the employees of Ukraine's security forces and Russian special services pose very serious questions to the relevant leaders. Each of these questions will receive a proper answer. The firings are the biggest political sacking since the invasion began. Zelensky said more than 60 officials from the pair's departments were now working against Ukraine in Russian-occupied territories and noted the problem had touched other departments as well. The sheer number of treason cases lays bare the huge challenge of Russian infiltration faced by Ukraine since Moscow began what it calls its special military operation on February 24th. 
In particular, questions have loomed over how the southern port region of Kherson fell so quickly to Russia in early March. That was in sharp contrast to the fierce resistance around Kyiv that forced Russia eventually to back off and instead focus on capturing Donbass in the east. Russian troops have now captured swaths of Ukraine's south and east in an invasion that has killed thousands, displaced millions and destroyed entire cities. The president of the EU Commission and Azerbaijan's president reached an agreement today that's to double imports of Azeri natural gas to the European Union by 2027. And the European Union has therefore decided to diversify away from Russia and to turn to more, towards more reliable, trustworthy partners. And I'm glad to count Azerbaijan among them. Under the deal, Azerbaijan will increase deliveries of natural gas to the EU from 8.1 billion cubic meters in 2021 to an expected 12 billion cubic meters in 2022. The EU is seeking alternatives to Russian gas since Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. The heat wave sweeping southern Europe showed some signs of letting up today. The hot weather in the region has caused hundreds of deaths and huge wildfires in past weeks. But now it's moving north towards Britain, where authorities issued an extreme weather warning. Here's more. Authorities across southern Europe continue to battle huge wildfires on Sunday in countries including Spain, Greece, France and Italy, with hundreds of deaths blamed on soaring temperatures. Shocked residents watched thick plumes of smoke rise above Spain's central western Herte Valley. Across the country in Catalonia, people were forced to flee their homes as wildfires quickly spread near residential areas. Temperatures in the country have reached as high as 114 degrees Fahrenheit or 45.7 Celsius during the nearly week-long heat wave. Residents in Madrid took to the streets in an annual water fight to battle the heat. Spain's weather agency said it would end Monday, but warned temperatures would remain abnormally high. In France, wildfires have now spread over 27,000 acres in the southwestern region of Gironde, and more than 14,000 people have been evacuated, regional authorities said Sunday, adding that more than 1,200 firefighters were working to control blazes that have grown massively over the past few days. The country has issued red alerts for several regions, the highest possible warning, urging residents to be extremely vigilant. In Italy, where smaller fires have blazed in recent days, forecasters expect temperatures above 40 Celsius or 104 degrees Fahrenheit in several regions in coming days. Similar temperatures are forecast in Britain on Monday and Tuesday in what would top a previous official record of 38.7 Celsius or 102 Fahrenheit set in Cambridge in 2019. Britain's National Weather Service has issued its first extreme heat warning for parts of England. The Chilean Navy reports that a U.S. Navy cadet on an exchange program to Chile was found dead in a waterfall. It happened at the Salto del Agua Trail in the Valparaiso region, located in the middle part of the country. The cadet was an exchange student at the Antonio Pratt Navy School. Local media reported the cadet was 25 years old. He went missing on Saturday after a trekking trip in his spare time with another cadet from the school. After reaching the top of the trek, the U.S. cadet looked over a cliff, slipped, and fell. The Navy said in a statement that the cadet accompanying him sought help from local authorities. Rescue teams found his body and retrieved it with a helicopter the next day. Police General Patricia Vasquez told local media that the body would be transferred via air with required security measures to a legal medical institute. 
And just ahead, a zoo in California rescues two tigers from Oklahoma and takes them to a new home. The tigers were neglected at a tourist attraction and living in poor conditions. And the Sydney Opera House has completed renovations to its concert hall. The renovations corrected acoustic problems that have long been a problem. We'll have all that and more for you here on NTD News. An old tradition is being kept alive in a small town in Germany, fishermen's jousting. Locals compete against each other for the Fisher King title. The goal of the competition is simple. Opponents attempt to push each other into the water using long lances while standing on wooden planks attached to boats. The winner is the last participant who manages to stay on the plank. There's no money to win in the event, but the Fisher King does get a trophy. 35 people took part in the competition in a small town just south of Munich. The competitors dressed in colorful traditional costumes. The tradition of fishermen's jousting goes back over 500 years to the Middle Ages. A total of 2,000 visitors from all around the area came to the event to see who would be the last person with dry clothes. The third edition of the Outdoor Cinema Paradiso Film Festival has already started in Paris. It's taking over the Louvre Museum's iconic Courcouris Courtyard for four nights of movie magic. About 2,500 spectators are expected to watch a selection of documentaries and feature films each night. The festival opened with the projection of Fire of Love, a documentary about French volcano researchers. The courtyard in which the festival takes place has been fitted with a 79 by 36 foot screen, deck chairs, food trucks, and a DJ booth. The museum sees the Courcouris as the heart of the Louvre and that the festival is in keeping with its DNA to be open to all arts. A Paris journalism student says it is a way to revisit historical sites and make them seem relevant again. The Louvre Museum was originally a royal palace and was home to French kings until the mid-1700s. After more than two years of renovations, the Sydney Opera House unveils its upgraded concert hall ahead of a public reopening next week. It marks the completion of the final project in a 10-year renovation. All too often the experience has fallen short of expectations and unmet expectations are really not something that we want at the Opera House. But with this upgrade we have corrected that imbalance. It just opens up the range of, of nuance available to us and to bring these great works of art to life. The concert hall is the largest performance space in the Sydney Opera House. The structure is a World Heritage listed venue. The total Opera House renovations are worth almost $204 million. They were completed ahead of the Sydney Opera House's 50th anniversary, which is in 2023. The facelift includes new acoustic reflectors and diffusion panels that will enhance sound quality. Performers and audience members alike have long criticized the concert hall's sound. The concert master of the Sydney Symphony Orchestra says people in the past had to shout at each other to be heard. The Sydney Symphony Orchestra will hold its first performance in the renovated hall on Wednesday. Thousands of worshippers gathered at the Holy Trinity St. Sergius Lavra Monastery in the Russian town about 40 miles northeast of Moscow today to see one of the most revered pieces of religious artwork in the country. 
The famous Holy Trinity icon was celebrated by Russian painter Andrei Rublev in the 15th century. It had been brought from its usual home in a state gallery in Moscow to the monastery for a two-day exhibition. The icon returned home for the first time since 1917. The purpose is for celebrations marking the 600th anniversary of the uncovering of the relics of St. Sergius of Radonej. Russian media reported that the icon was transferred in a special temperature-controlled transporter. One of the monastery's priest monks said there is at present no discussion over the icon returning there on a permanent basis, but he described the temporary exhibitions as nothing short of a miracle. Two neglected tigers that were once at a tourist attraction are beginning new lives in a new home. California's Oakland Zoo rescued the big cats and gave them much-needed medical care. Let's take a look at how they're doing now. California's Oakland Zoo rescued two female tigers, now named Lola and Mia, from a roadside tourist attraction in Oklahoma last month. The U.S. Department of Agriculture shut down the attraction for multiple animal safety and welfare violations. Because they're no longer making money for people, once these cats you know, become really teenagers, they're too dangerous, they may not get fed, they may be killed, they may be sold um, for uh, game hunting, and the facilities are very, very minimal. They usually live in small cages. Since there were no records of the big cat's history, the zoo doesn't know their age or vaccination record. Workers at the zoo say people can do the following if they want to help tigers. So if you want to help tigers, shop responsibly to minimize habitat loss. There's great places you can look to research for that. And if you're going to help a tiger sanctuary, make sure that they are an accredited sanctuary with the Big Cat Sanctuary Alliance. Additionally, um, press your legislators to pass federally the Big Cat Public Safety Act. And that means that these tigers can't be kept as pets. Lola had a facial deformity caused by an untreated tooth infection and Mia had been declawed as a cub. It's a painful process which removes part of the animal's paws. The Oakland Zoo says they are very happy to be able to provide the two tigers with a forever home and a good quality of life. And I think, I mean, it will be very heartwarming to see them be able to walk on out, walk out on grass for probably the first time ever. And, you know, tigers love water. You know, the moment they get to, you know, jump into the pool, I think just there's going to be so many times when, you know, we really will be so happy about this work that we're doing. The Tigers will live in the Oakland Zoo's newly remodeled tiger exhibit. It had been empty since their previous rescue tiger passed away last year. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email address on screen. We'd love to hear from you. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.